Peter chapter 4, we're looking in verses 1 through 6, we're on the same subject we have been on, which we shall be on through the entire book of 1 Peter, and that is suffering. Peter is writing to suffering saints. Christians are in a struggle. Christians are in a struggle until the Lord takes us home to heaven. For the child of God that stands for the Lord, there's going to be opposition against you constantly in this life. And I tell you, opposition weighs heavily. Even when you're in the right, you're taking a stand for the Lord and the other is wrong. Nevertheless, opposition weighs heavily. And that's what we have to go through as we stand for Christ. And you can imagine the scattered saints that have lost everything because of their stand for Christ. And Peter's writing to these Christians in a struggle. A seminary professor told a story to his students one time of him and his daughter walking in the forest. And they came upon one of those once-in-a-lifetime sights that you come across. A butterfly coming out of the cocoon. And as he and his daughter walked up to it and they sat there and they looked at it, the butterfly was really struggling. There was one wing out and it just couldn't seem to make its way out. And the professor leaned down by his daughter to share that moment with her and to get a closer view of the butterfly. And his daughter says, oh, daddy, can't you do something about it? The butterfly is struggling. What would you do, dad? Try to be the hero. And so he bent down to that cocoon just as just as gently as he could and away from that butterfly as much as possible. And he he lightly touched that cocoon and he split it. And butterfly, cocoon and all fell to the ground and the butterfly died. But the beautiful, isn't it? The seminary professor says, I learned my lesson. It needed the struggle to survive. And if we were going to title this portion of the struggling that Peter is writing to them about, that would be it. We need the struggle to survive. We have to arm ourselves with the mind of Christ to think this way and to see this. That we, we truly need our struggles. Peter's been writing to encourage these struggling Christians, you understand, to lift them up, to give them guidance so that they won't fall down into a bitterness, that they won't fall out of the way of the Lord, that they would learn how to live through suffering and now be able to conquer suffering. And to conquer suffering for the struggling child of God, this is going to be by putting on the mind of Christ. We have to do this. Let's go ahead and read the six verses through, and then let's break them down. It says, For as much then as Christ 
hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. When we arm ourselves with the mind of Christ, we see, are you ready for this? We see suffering as sinless. For as much as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. We ended the last chapter with Christ's sufferings after receiving the guidance for us and our sufferings. And as we think upon the sufferings of Christ, you might think upon the verbal slander that he experienced while he was on this earth. You might think of the vicious beatings that came upon Christ and even death, even death that he was willing to experience to please God and to save men. You understand that Jesus in the flesh, he didn't want to experience the suffering that he went through. Just like you and I, he didn't want to experience that suffering. But ultimately, may the will of God be done. He asked if the cup could pass from him. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He wanted that to pass. But he put aside those thoughts and those feelings of the flesh for the will of God. He rejected those things for God's will. And you and I must armor up in the mind of Christ to conquer suffering ourselves. How do we know if we put on the mind of Christ? I don't know what some may be thinking right now. Some may be thinking, yeah, I'm, I believe I'm good. I believe I've put on the mind of Christ like you're talking about. I, I really believe I have. And others might be saying, I don't know. I don't know if I really have or not. And, and maybe there's somebody saying, I haven't ever done that. I don't know. We may be all in different places. How do we know if we put on the mind of Christ and armed ourselves likewise of the same mind? Because our life will be identified as denying ourselves. We'll deny ourselves for others. And we will suffer for righteousness sake. We will take a stand like these scattered saints and we'll suffer for righteousness sake. We'll stand for Christ. With some cost to it. In this world. We're to deny ourselves. To please God. 
and to see men be saved. That's, that's the utmost importance for us in our lives. And we can't do this without keeping our mind on the Lord Jesus Christ, which is who Peter keeps telling of the suffering of to those who are suffering, the sufferings of Christ. A couple of weeks ago, we shared in this portion of the sufferings of the people of God and part of conquering suffering. We shared simply to live right and not live wrong. To do right. To, to desire that which is good. To be a fanatic of that which is good. To want right and to not want wrong. To live right and not live wrong. I say it simply. It's not that simple to do. On our, it's not, we can't do it on our own at all. We're in a battle though, and there's always something pressing against us. But as we think about living right and not living wrong, there's nothing wrong in this suffering. In this aspect of suffering that we're talking about, these saints that are being written to, they're not suffering in sin, they're not suffering as a result of their sin. It's actually the opposite reason why they're suffering. They're suffering for taking a stand for Christ. They are suffering for righteousness sake. It's a result of a, of a firm stance for the Lord. The Christian that's, that's truly suffering for Christ. That's identifying themselves with Christ and it's costing them. It's costing them at work. It may cost them with family. It may cost them in a lot of places wherever they go. It costs them with a lot of people that they confront. When someone is suffering for Christ, let's guarantee ourselves of this. They're not choosing sin. They're not living in deliberate sin. They're, they're not setting off in secret sin, not telling anybody about it. When you're suffering for Christ, you have ceased from sin, from the domination of sin anyway. You understand we have been saved from the penalty of sin and we're being saved from the power of sin. And the one who is standing for Christ and truly suffering for righteousness sake, they are not being dominated by that power of sin. They are not in bondage to sin in their life. A good identifying mark that they're truly living for the glory of God when they're suffering for righteousness sake. When you choose the Savior and you stand for Him, it's going to be suffering. And that's not sin. That's not the result of your sin. You're not in sin when you're doing that. Give that a thought. They've turned from sin. To choose sin, for the Christian to choose sin, is to camouflage Christ. And a lot of times the Christian will choose sin because they don't want to take that stand. They don't want to have that opposition. I said in the beginning that even when you're right, when there's opposition, it's heavy. It's heavy and it's pressure to deal with. But the one who chooses sin who chooses not to stand for Christ, is camouflaging Christ. But the sufferer, the one who suffers for righteousness' sake, is boldly and openly identifying themselves 
with the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 5.14 says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, a lot of men aren't going to glorify the Father for your good works. But you doing the good works and your light not being hid under a bushel and shining for Christ, that's glorifying your Father in heaven. And that, and that brings suffering, but that's not sin. Sinless suffering. That's, that's what we see here. So suffering in this aspect, look, it's living right. And not to, not to be, to be in a position to take a stand for Christ. I mean, think about it. It's either going to be sin or you're going to suffer. The only way not to sin is to choose the suffering. This suffering is sinless, I'm telling you. And we've ceased from sin when we see it this way and we live this way. It's a way that we're going to break this bondage of sin. Suffering that's sinless. When we put on the mind of Christ, the remainder of life is redeemed. Look at verse 2. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. Wow, my, <clears throat> the man that led me to the Lord, Bob Alexander, he wasted 54 years of life. He was saved at 54 years old. He died at about 70, less than 16 years as a Christian. And I don't know what statistics are, but I reckon he probably led more people to the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in those 50, 15 years than 90% of Christians who've been a Christian for 50 years on this earth. I mean, He redeemed the time. We need to be redeeming the time because the days are evil. We need to be making the most out of every opportunity for Jesus Christ. And when we arm ourselves with the mind of Christ, this is what we see we're going to do. The remainder of the life is redeemed. What a good commitment. What a determined, good determination that we might make tonight if we haven't made it. Not that we can do it in our own strength, but in Christ's strength, we can determine that the remainder of our time, we're going to be doing some redeeming work, the redeeming work of the Lord throughout our life. For the rest of our time here, we must arm ourselves with the mind of Christ to do this, to live our lives in the will of God. I mean, we've, we've really got to arm ourselves because of what do you see there in verse two, the lusts. Of men, It's plural. The lusts of men. And it's a constant battle. There's a constant drawing. There's a constant drawing upon every single one of our lives to go live in sin. If I talk to somebody about a situation, and I have in the past, may concern no one here, but to talk to someone and to give them a warning about what they could be getting into and what they're doing, they get offended that I wouldn't have confidence in them. 
It's not about that. It's about the lusts of men that's constantly going on and constantly trying to draw us to be destroyed and to self-destruct. And that's what's going to happen if we're not redeeming the time. The lust of men is tugging at us to commit ourselves not to the will of God, but to immorality. Everybody's being drawn to commit to immorality, to commit to materialism or whatever could distract us from the will of God to please self. Ourselves want to please self. And that's dangerous. We have quite an enemy in the mirror, but we can arm ourselves with the mind of Christ and the remainder of our lives redeeming, redeeming the time. The lives of Christians are not to be ruled by lusts. And look, I tell you, as I studied this and I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching with you because because it's convicting to me and it's it searches me. We've got to search ourselves and and see we need to slow down with the Lord and not have a multitude of words in prayer, but sit there silently as he searches our heart. To see these lusts. That, that are right there in front of us, drawing us. We, it's not a good idea to put on the mind of Christ. We desperately need to arm ourselves with his mind because the lives of Christians are not to be ruled by lusts. In saying that, let me say this. Our lives are to be ruled by the lost. Our lives are to be ruled by those that persecute us. I mean that in the way of meditating On them about their soul, that their soul might be saved. The persecutors of these Christians that have cost them to lose all, they need to have a heart for their soul, that their soul might be saved. When we arm ourselves with the mind of Christ, we'll desire that our enemies would be saved. To redeem the time. To do that, to be concerned with the eternal destination of those who cause our suffering. How about that? We all agree that definitely takes the mind of Christ. To put on the mind of Christ is to do the will of God. And the will of God for these Christians is that their persecutors might be saved. But we not only see that when we put on the mind of Christ... We'll be redeeming the time. But with the mind of Christ on, we'll see the past as polluted. Look at look at verse three with me. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings and abominable idolatry. Granny says, when you get a gut full of something that's wrong, that's when you'll get away from it. When you get a gut full of it, you'll separate yourself from it. I'm not saying that we have to go through a process of getting our fill of sin before we turn from it. We We ought to hate sin no matter what. There, there's some Christians that are being written here to here, and they were saved as an adult. 
And so they had a mature experience of sin in their lives before they came to the Lord. And they should be fed up with sin. Why is Peter writing and talking this way? Maybe because of their past. Preacher ought not be listing sins all the time, but Peter sure does here. And it's bound to be tied to their past lifestyle. Everybody has different weaknesses. And it's bound to be tied to the past lifestyle. We're no longer to fulfill the desires of the flesh. And our past before we're saved ought to stay our past. We ought to not be like a dog returning to vomit. The past ought to be the past, you understand? And that's what Peter is getting across. And he lists six things. Let's just shoot through them real quick. Lasciviousness. Lasciviousness is filthiness that is lived out in the open. I mean, when someone has no shame in their dirty game and it's in front of people, it's on the computer to be in front of people's eyes. No shame in their game. That's lasciviousness. And then lusts. Strong desires of the forbidden kind. You know, temptation isn't sin. But we're tempted when we're drawn away of our own lusts. And then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. We have... No one, nothing to blame for our sins, but our own lusts. And that's the very best thing we can do is take accountability and responsibility and just treasure the promise of when we confess our sins to the Lord, He is faithful and He is just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and wash us white as snow every day. Praise God for the word He gave us that that man marked for us in 1 John 1, 9. Claim it every day. Thoroughly go through that every day with the Lord. But not only does he mention lasciviousness and lusts, but excess of wine. Obviously, maybe some of these Christians had uh, a pattern of going to drinking for their difficulties. It might wash it away for an hour, wake up with a headache and the problem's still there. But that's obviously what they were doing. And that's a polluted path that they were on before. And they're, they're, they're strangers and pilgrims. They're no longer that anymore. They're a royal priesthood. They're a holy nation. They need to know who they are as the people of God and what has gone into the past from their lives. You know, one sip goes in the bloodstream and then it goes to the brain. And it starts altering the thinking before the second sip even starts. Ex excess. It just starts with the first sip. I think about some neighbors growing up. I won't mention them by name. There's a one in a million chance they're listening. But And I loved my neighbors. And my neighbors had two daughters. And, and the dad thought it was very noble of himself that he would tell his daughters, just don't hide it from me. Don't go out and drive and do this stuff. You just... Drink right here if that's what you want to do. One did and one didn't. One's life was completely wrecked and the other's wasn't. I remember as a little kid going to the wedding of the one whose life wasn't wrecked. And there were a lot of windows in the back of the church. I was in the church as a kid every now and then. Heard something like that. And it started snowing. 
I mean, I mean, ladies, I, you, I bet you'd like it to snow at your wedding. Huh? I mean, it was beautiful. I'm a little kid appreciating this going, wow. Can we get this wedding over with so I can go play in the snow? But I remember the other, the other daughter crying, going, everything good. Everything good happens to her. It's always that. And the, the snow wasn't a big deal. It was just a memory I have. And, and she did say that there. But there's a lot of scars and a lot of damage that we keep ourselves from when we leave the past, the past. When we become a new creature in Christ and we leave the things of the old man, the crucified one, in the past. Banquetings. It has revelings and banquetings here. Uh, I, let me jump to banquetings first because this is the average partier, the average drinker at a party. This is the sophisticated sinner, if you will, the banqueter. And, but then the revelings, the banqueter's going to be uneasy at this gathering. I mean, this is a wild party. This is stuff out in the open that they can't believe they're seeing with their eyes and their banqueter wants out of that party. He doesn't belong. That's how bad this uncontrolled, unboundaried, sinful pleasure out in the streets and wherever is going on. And this was obviously part of their past. And the Lord saved them. Check it out. That's what they were doing. And now they're taking a stand for Christ, even if they lose everything. But Peter doesn't want them to go down the wrong path in their suffering not realizing what all they bit off and they need to chew now. They need to be able to chew it up right in the Lord. The last thing he mentions here are abominable idolatries. Man used to make his own God with his hands. He made a golden pig. He made a 90-foot wall and he gold-plated it and, and ordered everybody to come worship it. That's the abominable idolatries that used to be made. They were made with the hands. There's still abominable idolatries made today. They're made with the mind. They're made in the mind. People are making up a God in their mind. They're making up their cherry picking the thou shouts that they like and want to do. And the thou shouts that we should be doing that. Well, I'm ignoring those and those aren't necessary. The thou shalt nots. They're, 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 they're fine with those things that they think they want to stand for, but when they get into a thou shalt not and it's their weakness, they want to compromise, they want to muddy the water, they want to ignore that, they want to make up their own God in their mind. There is no such thing as hell, is what some people say, that a God would not send someone there, a loving God. My, my God is too loving and too smart to do something like that to me. An unsaved, Christ-rejecting man told that to me. That's, that's Abominable, abominable idolatry in the mind. Making up your own God in the mind. And that's what's going on today. I was born this way. Peter knows the sufferer will be tempted to turn to this cesspool of sin from their past and all their adversity that they're going through. Some had a full of experience of this. Some didn't. Some were saved young. And they, some were saved at six, seven, and eight years old. And they never had a full experience of this sin. If that's you, you don't need your fill of sin. You don't need the typical testimony. You don't have to have that. Know that, think about what you would be. You, you're a Christian and you've learned about sin. Saved young. 
think about what you must be if you hadn't been saved and you'd have chose sin. Think about how it's hurt those that you love that, that were saved later. Let your heart be broken over that. You can be sick of sin without a mature experience of sin in your life. And leave it in the past. Leave it in the past. To armor ourselves with the mind of Christ. Seize the jesting as judged. I was really reaching for a word of rhyme there, I guess. Jesting. I'll, I'll, I'll tie that to mocking and the ridicule that might come upon the Christian. Verses 4 and 5. Wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. If you've separated yourself from the consumption of worldly pleasure and possessions, if you don't have a bumper sticker that says, he who dies with the most toys wins, if you don't partake in the after-hour parties with your co-workers, if you make sure that you are standing for Christ and they are seeing you as different, you're going to get the strange look. They're going to ask you why you don't partake. They're not going to say it in these words, but what they're going to be asking is, look, we all have pleasure in this world that we go and do together. We, we spend some time and have some laughs and we have pleasure in this world. Why wouldn't you do that? And they're going to look at you strange. And they're going to talk about you at the water cooler after they ask you about your different life. Be ready. Because the pressure's coming. The heat's going to get turned on when they find that you give six or seven hours of your life a week to, to the church and doing things in and, and for the church and, and, and you self-sacrifice yourself for others and the way they see it, you're getting nothing in return. Why would you do that? They're going to think you're strange. God's going to be pleased, but they're going to thank you strange. What do we do? Endure the strange look. Brush off the mockery that comes your way. And after you've shared the gospel of Christ with someone that you're around every day, be a quiet picture of Christ as you pray for your mockers to be saved. God wants to save those who are causing our suffering. Brush it off. Pray for them. We conquer this suffering by considering the eternal destiny of those who oppose us. There's nothing more important than someone you come in contact with than their eternal destination. We have to know that first and foremost. Who cares how cute they are? Who cares how good looking they are? What's their eternal destination? What's happening to them when they die? That's first and foremost. Even, even with those who cause our suffering. But let's, let's close with our last point. As we see the elders as examples. When we put on the mind of Christ, we're going to see the elders as examples. Verse 6. For, for this cause... 
was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Man, we could, we could go to our elders. We could go to those who have passed on before. And we could talk about afterlife. We could talk about their standing at the judgment seat of Christ. We could consider how they've already passed away and gone to be with the Lord. We could look at a whole aspect of their example. But let's just keep this thing simple right here. And let's talk about the examples that we've had in this life. And if we're going to put on the mind of Christ, I'll tell you what, we're going to look to those examples and we're going to glean from those examples. Oh, there's there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. There's there's wonderful things from drawing from the Christians that have gone on before us. We conquer suffering by following the examples of those who have gone on. Jeremy Taylor of the 1700s was persecuted for his faith. His house was robbed and wrecked, his family driven out, and everything of any earthly value was taken. He later wrote, I am fallen into the hands of publicans, and they have taken all from me. What now? They have not taken away my merry countenance, my cheerful spirit, and a good conscience. They have still left me with the providence of God. And all his promises, my hopes of heaven and my love for my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I still sleep and I digest and I eat and I drink and I read and I still meditate. And he that hath so many causes of joy should never choose to set down upon his little handful of thorns. The elders is our examples. When we put on the mind of Christ, we see our amazing, valuable tool, our valuable pattern in those amazing saints who have gone on before us. So let us see the suffering as sinless when we put on the mind of Christ that with the remainder of our time, that we be redeeming, that we, that we be sick of the past. And that past is polluted. And that we have a power to live over that past. And we never have to go back to it. And the jesters, they're going to be judged. But we'd rather see them come to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then we see our elders as examples. I pray that this is encouraging to you in any kind of suffering you're going through. If you're not going through suffering right now, put this in your back pocket because it's coming. It's coming. It's not going to be in heaven. It's not going to be in heaven one day. God's going to make it all right. But right now, there's going to be a heaviness and there's going to be a pressure. You can endure it. You can conquer suffering in your life. God's given us the pattern and he, and, he, and he used a fisherman to give it to us. And I like the way God used them to write. God bless His Word. God bless you for the strength that, that you and I might receive from His Word through our times of difficulty. Brother John Weisenbaker, I'm going to ask you to close us in a word of